Come on. Welcome to Money Savage, a savage approach to personal finance. This is George Grumbacher, and the time is right. Welcome to today's guest, strong and powerful Buck Joffrey. Buck, are you ready to do this? I'm ready. Excellent. Let's do this. Buck started out as a surgeon with experience in brain surgery as well as cosmetic surgery. He's an entrepreneur, an author, a podcast host, cryptocurrency and blockchain advisor, as well as a real estate investor. I'm excited to have you on. Buck, tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work and why you do what you do. Well, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, you know, I, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a serial entrepreneur and investor who happens to be a doctor, but I don't, uh, I don't practice anymore. I actually finished my training back in uh, 2009 and really just kind of, uh, um, you know, came out and, um, was influenced a lot by Robert Kiyosaki off the bat. And, um, really got into entrepreneurship, uh, get, made some money, started investing in real estate, uh, started looking at, you know, different ways to deploy capital. And, and, uh, you know, so the next thing you know, I'm, I'm a guy who started a few different businesses and then started to figure out what, you know, how to, how to manage that money. Um, because I've, I've always been more kind of guy who's wants to do it myself and learn, how, uh, how to invest it rather than just handing it over to somebody and, you know, hoping for the best. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, how hard was it to, to walk away from medicine after I have to imagine an immense amount of time and work to, to, to complete all that training? Well, yeah. So I was 34 when I finished uh, residency fellowship training and I, you know, practiced in earnest for about six years and then phased out um, over the course of a couple years. Um, so to answer your question, not hard at all <laughs> because, um, you know, there's a couple things that I think that medicine is, um, medicine is a, uh, in surgery, I'm a surgeon, uh, and, uh, I enjoyed operating, but I think, uh, you know, I think at any point, you know, you kind of do something for a while and you have to decide whether you want to do that for the rest of your life or you're ready for the next chapter. In my case, it just so happened that, you know, I spent from the age of, you know, from, from college and med school and residency training, you know, a couple, a couple decades in that, uh, in that time. Uh, so it, it was, you know, I didn't really ne- I didn't really ever think about it as something I was walking away from, but rather than rather that, you know, now is as good a time as any to start doing other things that I want to do. So, um, and I think that's an important point too, because I know a lot of miserable doctors and, um, right. I don't think I was miserable. I just was, you know, I am a, I'm a guy who just likes to do different things and, you know, start businesses and, you know, think of ways to invest in things and that kind of thing. And that was re- re- really what I was excited about. So, um, and when I walked away, understand that I still own, uh, you know, I still own the initial business that I started. It was a cosmetic surgery business. It's just that I'm not the surgeon anymore. And, um, so, so no, you know, it, it, for me, it was, it was just a matter of, well, I've, I've done that. Um, I liked operating, but I thought I'd miss it more, but I don't. Okay. Fair enough. I appreciate that. So obviously somebody incredibly capable of, of hard work, learning and then actually taking what you've learned and applying, which is obviously being a surgeon, um, and now teaching. How has that, how has that been? 
Yeah, I've always sort of been a, a teacher at heart, and and part of that is because uh, I I always feel like in order for me to truly understand something well, um, if I can't explain it myself, I probably just don't understand it very well. Right. You know? Yeah. So um so and and that applies literally to everything. I mean, I think you know um, I can uh, the way I thought about surgical procedures when I was learning learning them. Uh, I always, I always felt like when I actually figured out how to do something, I would wonder, well, why didn't somebody just tell me to do it this way? And, and I would have understood <laughs> it the first time. And so sometimes it's, it's, uh, you know, people are really good at things and they don't know how to explain things. And sometimes people, um, just, you know, really don't understand things and that's why they can't <laughs> explain things. Sure. And so. So for me, a, a, a part, a, a, there's great, great pleasure I, I derive from simplifying what appears to be the complex and saying, hey, it's really not that hard to understand. And it's really just this, this and that. I mean, I have, as you mentioned, I've done everything from neurosurgery to cosmetic surgery and now real estate investing and all that. And I have not found anything where um, to a certain degree, you can't break it down to a few steps and explain to somebody some of the general concepts, right? Yeah, I appreciate that. And as you're talking, it reminded me, I, I had the chance to, to, to read a lot of your book, The Seven Secrets of Eternal Wealth. And it, it opens with talking about what you call outdated paradigms. And I think that that sort of plays into what we were talking about a minute ago with sometimes people just take things at face value. It's like, why are we doing things this way? Well, that's the way they've always been done. Right, right, exactly. And I think... And there's a good reason for that, though. I mean, because if you think about the way we learn in school, it is um, I was talking about this with somebody the other day is you get through this pattern, right? You know, you're in first grade, then you go to second grade, then you get third grade. And then suddenly you're out of high school. And for a lot of us, it was a no brainer that you're going to go to college and there's a curriculum there and somebody's going to teach you something there. And all of a sudden you're done with college and maybe you go to grad school and then you're, you know, somebody tells you what you're supposed to learn there. And then finally you're done and nobody's telling you what to do anymore. Well, I mean, right. if you have, I mean, if you have a boss, sure. But, but my point is that at, at one point we, we're so uh, trained to just do what we're told to do and to stick with the status quo that the easiest thing to do when there's no formal curriculum around is to default to conventional wisdom, right? And uh, conventional wisdom is what everybody else is doing. So it must be the right thing. And the problem with conventional financial wisdom is that conventional financial wisdom is also um, often, uh, you know, it's created primarily by special interests, namely the banks, Wall Street. And I think it's, uh, it reminds me of you know, I always talk about um, this this big article that came out in New, New England Journal of Medicine and uh, exposing this uh, this thing back in the 50s with the sugar industry was funding Harvard research, Harvard Medical School research about how, um, you know, how to basically keep out of the public's mind that sugar itself may have some uh, significant negative impacts on cardiovascular health. And, um, it reminds me a lot of that because basically it's special interest funding information that ultimately 
uh, leads to this food pyramid that we all had up in our classrooms as children. And it was conventional wisdom, but it was ultimately because of special interest. And now we know that that food pyramid really wasn't, it was pretty much kind of upside down. So, right. Yeah. I think uh, we certainly live in an era and we've probably been there for a long time to your point where critical thinking is probably never been more important because the era of fake news and you need to consider this, whatever it might be. So I really try to take information and think, okay, what's really going on here? Let me try to break this down to the fundamental level and get rid of complexity and try to try to make sense of it that way. So as you are counseling people on getting started with investing, if it's in real estate or if it's with crypto, is there a certain process that, that you help take people through or or that you help them kind of begin with the end in mind or how just break that down for me, please? Yeah, I mean, it sort of depends where you are in life, right? I mean, if you're if you're if you don't have a lot of money, I think, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm a big real estate guy, right? So um, that's that's where I think you can create the most wealth. But, you know, um, Robert Kiyosaki is one of my big, um, you know, I would call him a mentor. And, and when I read his books, you know, everybody has this idea in their head that, Hey, you can buy real estate and you're getting a wealthy. Right. And, and the reality is, is that, um, there's more to it. If you're a younger person, what you really need to be focusing on is how to make more money. (laughs) You know, because no matter what right. you invest in, if you don't have money, you don't have nothing to invest in. Right. So so I use an equation. Right. So I, I have an equation that I, um, uh, you know, I, it's sort of a altered Newtonian physics equation. But it the wealth is equal to uh, the product of what I call mass times velocity times leverage. Right. So wealth is is uh, well, of course, well, that's self-explanatory. But. Um, mass, mass is how much money you actually invest, right? So, uh, that's obvious, right? If you don't, if you don't invest anything, it doesn't matter how much leverage or velocity you have. You multiply anything by zero at zero. And so that's that. And then you have velocity, which is effectively what's your return on investment or return on equity, how quickly you get your own money back, so to speak. And and then finally, uh, leverage is using, you know, other people's money, namely the bank, right? So that is sort of a, a, a to me, a hallmark of how you create wealth. It's the playbook, right? And you, without, without significant mass or without leverage, without velocity, no one really gets wealthy unless you're, you know, you just happen to be a, you know, rock star or professional <laughs> baseball player, you know, or football player or whatever. But without that, you, you're not going to, you're not going to get very far. Right. So I think, I think understanding the math is actually very, very important first and foremost, because that's, that's, uh, if you can get to that point, then you can say, okay, well, it looks like the first thing I need to do is I really just need to start making more money. And that's where all the investment gurus and everything, you know, uh, real estate gurus are notorious for this, right? making, making people think that they can get rich overnight with real estate. Well, you can, you can get very wealthy with real estate, but you got to have money to invest in real estate. So I say the first step is figuring out where to generate more income, 
side hustles, for example, right? Mm -hmm. And these days it's so easy to do that kind of thing, right? I mean, they didn't have this stuff even back in the, um, you know, the early, uh, early two thousands when I was, you know, when I was a surgical resident and I was working all these hours, but shoot, if I had, you know, if I, if I could have drove for Uber, I would have, because I was so like, I was making no money, right? right? Making like 50 grand in San Francisco as a surgical resident mm. in 2006, 2007. And, and it was like, you know, way below the poverty line in the city of San Francisco. I would have driven for Uber. We didn't have Uber though. Yeah, right. right. All of a sudden there's, there's all these different things that you can do. You could have an Amazon store, you could have Uber, you could, you know, any number of things to do a side hustle. That's where I would start. So. Yeah, no, I appreciate that very much. It is impossible to do financial planning if, if there is no money and it's impossible to be a successful investor for the most part, unless you have money. So that is kind of the, kind of the starting point. I appreciate that. Um, I really, I, I love asking successful people and love asking advisors about what habits they see in their most successful clients. And because you are a surgeon and you were around a lot of successful people in medicine, I'm curious if you see habits that translate between being a successful investor and, and a successful surgeon or a successful doctor. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let me give you an example. I think, um, it's funny. Uh, one of my major partners that I work with on the real estate side, um, that group and, and the, um, uh, the CEO of there, she's actually a computer scientist by training. And, and I was talking to her about the model that we use and then to generate all this, you know, significant, um, uh, returns we're, we're, we're getting for ourselves and for investors. And really the funny thing about it was that, that she's a computer scientist, right? So what we're really looking at when we're breaking down buildings and adding value to buildings, et cetera, is very scientific. And once you get, um, once you get sort of the formula, again, simplification, simplification, if once you do that and you do it over and over again and you do it really well, that's what you really need to focus on. So and I say that because I remember, again, being um, as a surgeon, there was some procedures where I started doing them. And it, at first they seemed like, wow, this is, I know this is a big different, you know, a lot of different steps here and it's so complex, et cetera. And people were teaching me that made it seem that way too. But I could usually say I could do A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and I'm done. And if I just do that quickly and accurately in the exact same way every single time, I will be successful. So once you find a formula that works, you stick with it. You stick with it and you keep doing it over and over again and you scale it. And that is something that I see, you know, with with the most successful people I know. Yeah, I think that that makes all the sense in the world. It's just, you know, a matter of figuring that out. So, and and for you that was um just being able to 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 learn from top advisors like I think you mentioned Robert Kiyosaki. Um and now you talked about teaching people this this formula that's helped you to be successful. So, if you would, let's let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean you mean like the uh the the uh, the actual mathematical part of it or Whichever you think is most interesting. 
Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, I guess, listen, here's what I would say is that now you say now you've got money, right? And we talked about we've got this math equation. We have mass and we figured out how we got how we're going to, you know, how we're going to make some extra money to invest. And now you've got, you know, now you're going to look for things uh, that have higher yield and then you're going to figure out how to leverage them. Um, I would just say a few things about this is that, um, you know, one of the things that I think keeps uh, keeps people from um, really making much money is a fear of leverage, fear of of, of debt. Okay. Uh, you know, as Robert says, uh, you know, there's good debt and there's bad debt, right? You know, if you use debt to buy a TV or a car, it's bad debt. You're going to pay it back. It's never going to pay you anything. But you can use debt for good purposes too. And and that's, you know, every major business in the world uses debt to create additional income, right? So I will go as far as to say that, in my opinion, uh, that without debt, it is virtually impossible to become wealthy um, because it, it, it requires that kind of um, it requires that kind of additional other people's money to to get to the next level. So um, for me, my own philosophy on investing um, is, you know, I focus for this reason primarily in the real estate space. Um, I'm not talking about flipping homes. I'm talking about you know buying things, improving them, holding them, that kind of thing. It creates tremendous wealth over time. And um, the other thing, uh, so for me, that's that makes up the, the majority of what I do. Now, if you're, uh, where does the other stuff fit in, right? So where does, say, you know, you mentioned cryptocurrency. Well, I, you know, I do have this, so I have two podcasts, right? I have Wealth Formula Podcast, which is really for, you know, your typical high paid professional who's trying to figure out what to do outside of wall street. Cause they don't want to just go through 2008 all over again and not know what hit them. Right. Um, and then there's a cryptocurrency podcast I do, which is called consensus network. Now what the heck would, where does, you know, where does cryptocurrency come into this? Well, cryptocurrency comes into this because, um, well for me, a big impetus for my interest in this is the fact that I was in college, um, you know, during the uh, internet. In fact, my wife, my wife was at Stanford, you know, when, you know, like Sergey and those guys were, were doing their, their yeah, master's yeah. degree at Stanford. She was an undergrad there. I mean, they were like, you know, they're going to San Francisco and going to dot com millionaire parties with like, you know, there was people on her floor that were literally creating multi-million so funny. dot com companies. Of course, she didn't. She didn't end up doing that kind of stuff. Uh, unfortunately for me, but <laughs> but but you know uh, you know what 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 happened out of that is, and people look back and say, "Ah, oh, this is a dot com. It's a dot com bubble, and it blew up, and it was a terrible thing." But yeah, that's true. But guess what? Out of that company came uh, three of the first trillion dollar market cap companies, namely Amazon, Apple and Microsoft, right? Um, so I think that if you look at the blockchain technology, blockchain and distributed ledger technology in general, I think we have a similar phenomena coming up. And um, it's it's sort of, uh, I missed it the first time. I think this one's just as big, I really do. I know it's wildly fluctuating and I know we're in a massive bear market, but I think right. the, 
if you look at the the technology there, it is compelling. It is extremely compelling. And it's hard for me to imagine that it's not going to become part of our everyday life over a course of time. So when you have that kind of idea and you have the uh, you know, the, the feeling that I wish I had an exposure to that last time, it makes you think, well, okay, so maybe I, maybe I don't put, you know, all my money into it, but maybe I should have some exposure to it. Right. I mean, you're literally seeing like Yale, Yale university's endowment. So Yale's, uh, their endowment is, you know, their, the guy who manages their endowment is, is like, a you know, legend. And he is, you know, he's done an incredible job. And they actually went and started investing in blockchain. And uh, of course, they're not, you know, they're not dumping 20% of a portfolio in there. They're getting small amounts of exposure, one, two, three percent. Why is that? Well, because if this is as big as a lot of us think, that two, three percent in a portfolio can have a tremendous overall impact on a given portfolio while at the same time if for some reason things don't go the way that you do you think they're going to go it won't have a huge downside right so it's a real binary type investment i think i you know it's it's what i would call an asymmetric bet where the return profile is so high that if you put a, you know put some money into it that if you lost it it wouldn't kill you you, you know we call it on, uh, well, you know, in my wealth formula show, of course, we're talking, I'm talking to a lot of doctors and stuff. We call it sort of your BMW money, right? Okay. Don't, don't buy your BMW this year, buy some cryptocurrency because either way it's you're, you're throwing your money away. <laughs> right. So, you know, you could, you could look at that in different ways too. You say, okay, well maybe I'm not gonna, you know, get that surfboard this year or whatever. And, um, you know, instead I'm going to, I'm going to bet on myself and buy something that could be life-changing in terms of overall impact in my in my portfolio. That's where I see that, right? That's where I see crypto. And I'm just excited about the space. For me, I do, despite all of my, um, you know, my book is all about like, you know, how to build wealth the way it's been built, like, you know, for centuries. And it has nothing to do with this kind of speculation. But uh, once you get to a point where, you know, you could, you know, you're not worried about paying the bills and you're not worried about being able to, you know, put food on the table. It's, it's nice to have some exposure to something that could change your life. Yeah, I, I 100 percent agree. I think that that your approach and the percentages that you mentioned uh, definitely makes sense. And I can't imagine a world five years from now that it won't that uh, that this technology won't play a huge part in. So, well, Buck, Savage Nation is ready for your difference making tip. What do you have for them? Yeah, difference making tip, huh? Yeah, I, w- I was trying to think about this when you mentioned that. Um, I would just say that remember um, that um, there's there's a there's a quote uh, that I like, um, which is well, I don't know if it's I, I think I made this one up. Uh, <laughs> it's an original, but yeah, it's an original. But this one is okay. So you learn from your mistakes, right? I mean, everybody talks about learning from your mistakes, especially right. you know for your entrepreneurs out there and for your budding investors, et cetera. And this is true. No one can really learn anything unless you uh, encounter a number of mistakes. And they can be costly. But the one thing I've learned over time is that they don't have to be your mistakes. 
So to the extent that you can potentially, you know, learn from mentors, learn from masterminds, learn from other people, you should do it because at the end of the day, if you're going to go into the dark cave, it's always better to go in there with somebody who's been there before. I think that is great stuff that definitely gets a come on. Come on. So, <laughs> okay. Buck, thanks so much for coming on the show. Where can Savage Nation learn more about you? Yeah, so we got, uh, I got the two podcasts that more, you know, I want to, you know, in real estate, hardcore sort of, you know, uh, investor. If you've got, you've got some money, you want to learn how to invest it. Uh, show is Wealth Formula Podcast. You can find it all over the place, uh, YouTube or you know, Stitcher, iTunes, etc. Same thing uh, goes for the podcast on cryptocurrency, and that one is called Consensus Network. And um, if you want a copy of uh, an e-copy of that book, uh, Seven Secrets of Eternal Wealth, you can also um, uh, you can just text four four two 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 and uh, put in Wealth Formula one word, and you can get a copy of that PDF too. Excellent. Well, Savage Nation, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, show Buck your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas. Check out the Wealth Farm of the podcast as well as the Consensus Network podcast and text 44222. Is that what it was? Yep. And put in Wealth Formula and you'll get a copy of his book. That's awesome. Thank you again, Buck. All right. Thanks for having me. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight because we are all in this together. What's up, Savage Nation? Please support the show by subscribing, leave us a review, and definitely feel free to share us with somebody you think would like it. Come on!